Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. How lucky are we to be in a time where we're getting so many like in-depth Asian stories mm, yeah. from different perspectives yeah. and not just one specific country? Yeah. Um, I love very, very, very much. Steven Yeun is a fantastic actor. Really? He keeps getting better and better, so I just could not take my eyes off of him. He's also very good looking, so it's like, very easy to do. <laughs> Welcome to a new episode of the Color Gray Pod. This is Joy. Again, still with this terrible ass cold. <laughs> Y'all gonna have to apologize. The the Further episodes, I'm going to sound crazy, but please bear with me. Mm. I have a lovely guest, Carvel. Mm, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited. Okay, and we're going to be talking Minari. Um, it's A24 uh, distribute uh, distributed film. Mm-hmm. Already had distribution before it hit the mountain. Uh, direct, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a uh, part of already on the slate ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, directed by Lee Isaac Chung, mm-hmm. uh, starring Steven Yoon, who plays a father who takes their family um, from Korea. Korea, go to Arkansas out of all states um, to build a farm. Mm. Uh, and I would love to hear your thoughts first, Carvel. Well, uh, first of all, thank you for having me on this. Sh- uh, I'm so excited to talk about this film. I loved it. I mean, I, it's, you know, mostly at this point when I look at films, I'm like, well, what did they, how many things did they do wrong? And I thought Minari did very little wrong. I thought they, you know, there's a, there's a lot of ways they could have screwed up this story they could have made it um you know they could have gone too heavy-handed they could have gone too nostalgic they could have gone too sappy um i thought the film had an incredible quiet and reserve but that wasn't in and of itself a pastiche of this sort of like asian sort of like people don't say a lot of words and everything's kept inside um it it just felt incredibly honest and i and i loved what it did with point of view we still don't know who the protagonist of that film is. Yep. And that's something that I've noticed in a few films that I've liked here that we're not that that we're not dealing with one protagonist. We're dealing with multiple protagonists, protagoni. And at some point the little kid is the protagonist and it's his story. And then at another point it's the mother's story. And then at another point it's the father's story. And then it's the grandmother's story. And it goes back and forth between them. And somehow it's this family's story. It's a group protagonist. And I just I loved it. I thought the performances were stunning. I thought the grandmother in particular was absolutely she was a joy to watch in every form and she changes forms in a very intense way, not to spoil, at a certain point in the film. So she's one kind of person for a lot of the film. Then she becomes a completely different kind of person. And her way of inhabiting both of those was just great. Uh, I don't, I mean, I don't, I want to talk, I mean, I want to, I kind of want to fanboy over this film rather than critique it or anything else because I just loved it so much. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And and another film that we'll be reviewing in a future episode, um, I agree with you wholeheartedly in terms of leveraging the nucleus as the protagonist mm. and seeing different facets of the family. Another yeah. film, which we'll be talking about later, Farewell More does it a little yes. bit more structurally, I thought so. but yeah. um, does it in a similar way. And I also love that film as well. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that one, 
how lucky are we to be in a time where we're getting so many like in-depth Asian stories mm, yeah. from different perspectives yeah. and not just one specific country. Yeah. Um, I love very, very, very much. Steven Yeun is a fantastic actor. Really? Very. He makes very, very, very good choices in films that yeah. are very like left field. Yeah. From Okja to a burning. And so doing this, I was like very much in his wheelhouse and he keeps getting better and better. So I just could not take my eyes off of him he's also very good looking so it's like very easy to do <laughs> um but no i agree with you um i really love the tale of a family trying to figure it out in middle america especially because this family's a little different like they obviously uh immigrated from korea but prior to living in arkansas they lived in california right and so they were you know you, you're getting kind of a conversation about like city folks versus like rural folks that's correct um yeah. the father being more of a rural person and really trying to make this farm work but his wife is a city woman and she's like we were doing well in california right. Right. And he's like, but we didn't have much. Like we were able to do well, but we had nothing to our name. We didn't have yeah. land. We didn't have ownership over yeah. these things. And so I'm trying to build something for, you know, my generations. I'm trying to, you know, find, I want my kids to see me do one successful thing. And so I thought that story was really interesting. Also like provisions and like, how do you provide for your family? Right. Mm. And so she spoke a lot about, you know, uh, in, in traditional, like Korean traditions, um, the oldest son is taking care of their family. Mm -hmm. So a lot of their income that was coming from California into Arkansas before they moved to Arkansas was going to, um, um, to take care of his yeah, family. Yeah, to take care of his right. family. Um, and she's like, well, what about us? Yeah. What about my family? Like, we're not taking care of my mom and dad. Like, we're not taking care of, like, our kids. Like, what are we doing about this now that your family is taken care of? Yeah. And so I thought that that was a really interesting dichotomy. Their relationship was extremely heartbreaking. I, it was really intense. I thought it was one of the best, ex I mean, as a person who's been married and divorced, I thought it was, again, it was handled with a certain clarity and a sort of clear-eyedness that I don't often see with with marriage and potential separation stories, is which is that you know when people when a marriage doesn't work out in a lot of cases and people have been through something, it's because people have reached a point where they give up on trying. They just can't try anymore. Like it's not like I hate you and just never talk to me again. I mean, there's is some of that, but what I think is often missing from these tales and films is you know. We're often so fascinated, especially I think this is about American films, with bad behavior. We love bad behavior. All of our protagonists are terrible people. They're either really bad at living and they make terrible choices or they're incredibly mean or they're obnoxious. And we see them struggle through the world in that way. What I thought this film did was, and I thought this was true of 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 uh, Farewell and More too. Farewell and More? Mm -hmm. yeah, Farewell and More too. Is that everyone involved was actually really good at life in their own ways. It's just that the circumstances they were under outmatched even their best abilities. And so in this marriage, we saw their fatigue, their their inability to go further. They had already given everything they could. Another thing I thought was a really interesting thematic thing, and I thought this was true in this movie, somewhat in Farewell and More, also in the movie I saw last night, His House, which is this question of how much is a man willing to sacrifice his family for the sake of his family? And this is a like, I mean, this is the thing I think about often just as a father and as, as someone who thinks about masculinity a lot and the ways in which it expresses itself. I thought this film really pushed that question to the edge. She, he's saying, I'm doing this for us. She's saying, this is killing us. And so there's this question of, is he doing it for them or is he doing it for himself? And I also like that the movie allows you to change your point of view on that as it progresses. And you don't really resolve it. It's just that at the end, they're faced with another situation that's so 
pressing and immediate that it no the question no longer matters. It's now time to take action. Uh, I just thought it was beautifully structured too to get to an act three where they are, are in a completely different world than the one that they began in. Even though they haven't left the farm, everything is different. I thought it was so beautifully written. Yeah. It's hard to do that. Yeah, no, I would also delve into that that point about sacrificing the family for the family um, and the notion of the difference between the definition of like what this particular character's masculinity is versus the appearance of masculinity as his like place in the household mm. because a lot of the centering like I would say in the second act was more about he wanted to be a success for his wife mm. and his kids yeah. um, but and that was his definition of masculinity but at the sacrifice of that he was like sacrificing water and sacrificing being around for his you know being yeah. around for his marriage and yeah. being near his kids yeah. and like not being emotionally present um i do think that that warring uh, def like definition of what is masculinity versus what is your like perception of masculinity and whether or not it makes you feel powerful mm. um i thought was a really interesting way that they did it. and they did it in like a very subtle way too yeah i think that's what the film did so well was that it allowed for there to be for there to be complexity yeah. right on the one hand he's a sympathetic character on another hand he's kind of out of hand on the other hand he's you see where he's coming from um and i thought the movie did a good job of like avoiding all of the stereotype the fish out of water sort of foreign foreign couple moves into like middle america fish out of water stories that we're so used to from independent films i thought they did a good job of like sort of setting up those expectations then subverting them their interactions with the townspeople you know when they get the helper on the farm this guy is a character he, you expect him to be kind of like the the local rube but he's way he's exactly as weird and cartoonish as you would expect but also as deep and complicated and meaningful and genuine as you would expect, he felt like a real human being. And a lot of times in these um, sort of city filmmaker makes independent film about the real America, mm -hmm. the people aren't human beings. They're pastiches, they're ideas of middle America that are frankly like empty. And I thought that this movie was like, worked so well by doing the opposite, by letting people be complicated. Everyone was good. It's yeah. just that some people's attempt to be good conflicted with other people's attempt to be good. That's what was really happening. And that's such a great way, I think, to make a story. Yeah, I would say like Paul's like, um, like uh, Paul as the character was, first of all, played by the white coach in Remember the Titans. Oh, is that who that was? Yes, it was. That's where I knew him. From. I was like, where do I know? I was like, from? I kept looking at him. I'm like, who is where this I man? He it's was the white coach from he was Remember tremendous. the Titans. It was such a he tremendous very performance. well done performance too. Beautiful. Um, the other thing I was going to say is uh, talking about the Middle America piece. Mad cool that we have, uh, we're centering a, a very rural middle America story, mm. like from top to bottom, and it's centered uh, around a family of color. That's right. And like, and that was, you know, that was the writer's experience. I mean, you know, I, I heard him talk on a panel and he said that part of the way he put this together was he began to just sit and reflect on visual memories that he had of his childhood. Yeah. Right. So these images and that's such a great way to start a film because filmmaking, no matter what you do with dialogue, it's still storytelling through images at yep. its core. And that you could feel that this film was made through a collection of images that were that were alive and permanent and um, in some way almost mythical, you know, especially with Paul, that were then strung together with a story, but it felt like the images and the moments that we got to carried us through. Um, again, I want to go back to the grandmother who I thought was just such- Fantastic. Such a wonderful character. And her, she comes in and we expect her to have every answer because that's what we're told about the grandmother, that we she's off-putting and she's weird, but she's got all the answers and she does have all the answers, but then she also is like the main problem. 
in the end. And so that's this way of subverting expectation and changing what we expect feels so much more like life than it does like film. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, I, I, I thought this was a deeply personal story. And I love stories like that mm. who like get very, 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 very nuanced to a director's vision. I thought there was a couple, few films during the festival that lacked clarity and lacked a, like a very clear point of view. Mm -hmm. I do not think that this was that mm -hmm. type of film. I mm -hmm. think it was very clear in its convictions and its objective, which I very much enjoyed. Mm -hmm. A24 do not play games. No, they don't. Like I need y'all to really push this during the award mm -hmm. season. Mm -hmm. I know <laughs> because it's releasing in January, mm -hmm. it is very difficult nowadays for the yeah. award season push to yes. like carry it through to the next year. But like, please, 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 make this like one of your lead films to, a, to push. And that's always the question because it also costs so much money to make, to, to, to push your film for award season. Now, I, know. I remember interviewing Terrell Alvin McCraney maybe mm -hmm. and he was talking about that what happened with Moonlight is they didn't think of it as an award film until it was almost too late. And then once they realized it was an award film they had to figure out where to get the money to do that push and do those tours. And, yeah. and um, you know, I, you're right, this is releasing early so that stresses me out a little bit. It, it does. Like, I, <laughs> if this was, if this was a Color Grade Pod live at TIFF, I would mm. not have a worry. Right. Because I, it's coming at a right time. Right. And a lot of the films that really make it through like the BAFTA, Oscar, Globe, SAG conversation right. are typically TIFF like films right. over the last couple of years. Right. Like the Jojo Rabbits, the, the Parasites, the, yeah. even though it didn't premiere at TIFF, but it showed at TIFF. Like a lot of those films do make it to the finish line when it comes to major award season. Yeah. So I am, a that is the only worry yeah. that I have. Yeah. I am hoping that it releases by A24 like in the summer. I think it would be a gorgeous summer film mm. or in the fall. But like, please, please do not, don't drop the ball on this one. It's mm. so good. Was there anything with the film that you struggled with or any choices that you questioned or found yourself not exactly on board with? Hmm. You know, I some of the church stuff, mm. I I needed to sit with a little bit. Mm. And I think I've been seeing like different variations of church in mm -hmm. different films mm -hmm. at Sundance. Mm -hmm. I get it. Like Christianity is a very popular mm -hmm. religion. Got mm -hmm. it. Um, I thought that that piece was a little interesting too, um, that church aspect. Like I think that's very, very middle America. I thought Paul kind of carrying the cross around, mm -hmm. I wanted to get an answer on why that was the case mm. um, and what were the convictions beforehand. And it's really fascinating because like, on one hand, I don't like, this is centering an Asian family, so I do not want Paul to be the center. Mm. But Paul was such a unique character mm. that I kind of want a little backstory on Paul. Mm. Like, how did he start working there? What's the the deal with the cross every Sunday and, and lugging it around? He's very eccentric. So like, where is that coming from? Does he have family in his life? Like, you know, when did he start doing the farm business? Did he work with that other person who was on the farm when the farm failed prior to this right. family coming in? Right, when he tells that kind of yeah. horror story about the land before. Yeah, so it's like, yeah. that, those things I was like very curious about. On one hand, like, I don't want him to be the center of it, but like, I was thinking about that a lot. I mean, like, huh, Paul is just like an interesting yeah. grown pe person in the mix. Well, in some ways that I bought that choice because I felt that we were getting the story from the family's point of view. Yep. And so the family doesn't know wh what Paul's backstory is. And they're just they're just dealing with him the best they can, especially the father. It's just he's got this guy apparently knows his crops and that's what we're here for. Yep. And so I'm, I'm just going to like, <laughs> you know, whatever your weird stuff is, you're just weird. I like at the beginning that he calls that out, that, that when Paul starts to while out, he basically just says, you're crazy. And that's kind of like that sets the tone for the relationship yep. like i'm going to tell you the truth you're going to tell me the truth and then but we're going to be about these crops i also thought it was great that none of they didn't do that thing the other kind of like 
easy move where they move to this small town and then everyone just says racist things to them all the yeah. time. That the characters were actually their form of racism was a little more complicated and a little more interesting. And that, of course, people held racist beliefs, but they also just weren't just going to just like run around and just be racist 24 seven to these people. They also were just going to interact with them as normal people. And that felt a lot more true to my experiences in America. Yeah. Instead of just someone just coming through with all the slurs and, you know, just for shock value. The church stuff, I also did struggle with a little bit. I think the film was so insular on the family and on the farm that it did lose a little bit of its momentum when they left. Yeah. The kind of emotional setting of it. And I wasn't sure why the church stuff was there. It felt almost like they had to include it for some reason, or it felt almost like one of those stories that got sort of lopped off at the head in editing. You know, that there was more was going to happen with the church stuff, but then it didn't. I, I too thought that was that was a part that I struggled with. On the flip side, something that I thought was so fantastic was the idea of this six hour trip to Dallas to find a Korean buyer for their for their goods. Mm-hmm. And you know what it means to go to, to take this drive, this speculative drive, is someone gonna buy their things to meet this Korean shop owner, to have him be kind, to have there be no twist. He's not really secretly shady. He's, he's just a shop owner in Dallas just trying to make a go of it himself. Something about that external character, it reminded me of, in a, this is a weird analogy, but it reminded me of one of the things I love about The Simpsons, mm-hmm. which is that The Simpsons does this world of characters outside the family as a way of shining light on the family themselves. And I thought so much was revealed about this family and where they're coming from by just having this one scene with this one Korean shop owner in Dallas. The isolation, the need for connection, the the the, the immigrant story of just, fuck, I'm, I'm fucking making a go of it is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Is it? Am I out here? Yes. But I'm making a go of it. That's what I'm doing. And I thought the film just beautifully like handled that. I also appreciated that despite, even though it was in rural America, they were very clear on, we will still maintain our cultural norms. Mm. Like the fact that the majority of the film is in Korean mm. and they're speaking to each other. Mm-hmm. Only the kids really kind of talk in English, but mm-hmm. the, the parents are speaking in mm-hmm. full Korean. The grandmother speaks in Korean to the kids. Mm-hmm. They respond back in English, mm-hmm. but like they understand each other. Yeah. That was amazing. I think that ties into meeting, meeting the, the, the shop owner in Dallas and like, you know, talking to each other at their other employment place at the kind of chicken. Yeah. Like, the chicken sexing, the yeah, chicken yeah. sexers yeah, by yeah, yeah, like, trade. Yeah. Yeah. By trade. And so yeah. like the fact that they were talking about, like well there is Koreans some Koreans here there's some Koreans in Oklahoma City there's right. Koreans in all these other areas yeah. I thought that was awesome that they were still like just because they were in this place to to chase the American dream and build something did not mean that they were going to reach out beyond that area to still make sure that they're tied to their community well there was also that sense too that that again and this may be just because being trained in American filmmaking we're always trained to have heroes and and, and problems a single person swoops in and solve everything and the idea that you know they, they travel to Dallas they meet this Korean shop owner he can't save them they're like there's not he's not gonna they're, they're, there's no person one person that can save them they have to make a go of it in every way I want to ask you real quick what you thought about the ending the ending image with them mm-hmm. with the Minari at the mm-hmm. creek and an ending on that how did that strike you and what did you think that meant I thought it was a tie back to the grandma and the grandma talking about the Minari is utilitarian right mm. the Minari can be used for herbs the Minari can be used for healing the Minari can be used for all of these different things mm. so I thought it was really interesting that the father took the son there especially because out of the ones who had the most 
confliction and that kind mm-hmm. of went through the most pain in the film it was the father mm-hmm. and so in a way I thought it called back to he's coming back to this like central point and that's utilitarian it is a place of healing it, it can do these multi-purpose things and you can retransform it to different things just like he's gonna have to rebuild and retransform mm. something that's been burned down prior in the you know like second to last scene so that's how I took it yeah, it's interesting I mean I think about the I mean the film is called Minari so you have to then go back and be like well what was it about the Minari and I think about you know this film had a great uh sort of line of kind of Chekhov's gun line of dialogue in the in the first act where the grandmother or a second act where the grandmother says we're gonna plant Minari we should plant Minari by the creek and he says I'll think about it and she says what's there to think about and something about that point of view clash between them where he's like I have to make some decision in some and I've considered all the factors and what am I doing with my farm and what am I gonna do with my crops and and the grandmother's saying no this is you don't think about this you you plant this because this is our crop this is what our family builds this is our community this is our thing mm-hmm. you don't think about it you you do it and that felt to me like one of the strongest moments about immigration because the father is trying to reconcile his cultural idea with the cultural idea of being an American farmer yep. and what that means to be an American farmer, which is essentially a white concept. And it's like, how am I going to think about this? And how am I going to make money? And what is, and that, and that the grandmother's saying, sure, that's real, but also just plant the Minari because don't, don't even worry about all that. And at the end that without giving much to weight, that's all they have left yeah. is this, this simple thing that the grandmother said, no, you just plant this because this is what we do period. And I thought that was a great summary of, what really drives this family is that all the stuff we're trying to do in America, sure, it's beautiful, sure, we're ambitious, but in the end, we just do family because that's what we do, period. Right, right. no, absolutely. So is this color grade approved for you? I I find this extremely color grade approved. Yay, <laughs> I feel the exact same way. Such a wonderful film. Again, A24, don't fuck this up. I'm gonna be so mad. I'm gonna be so mad if I do not see this get pushed heavily during the award season. But Carvel, thank you. Thank you, Joy. So, um, tell us about yourself. Uh, I'm Akash Raj. I'm a cinematographer based in L.A. Um, I was in India before I moved to L.A. for seven years. Um, now I'm in L.A. Uh, yeah. Doing the L.A. thing. You can't, you can't see him at home, but he looks very L.A. Like, what is that word? What am I looking for? Impeccably dressed. Yeah, it's like um, tapered. Like, everything is like, well, you know what I mean? Like... There's no, there's no, um, there's no bags, no looseness. All right. So something we've been talking to a lot of people. Well, first of all, ha- have you been to Sundance before? No, this is my first time um, with, with, with a film called Arabian Alien. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, we're kind of a little hush-hush on the film. Remember the name, Arabian Aliens. We're not going to talk too much about it, but we will put it in the show notes so you guys can find it when it's out and all of that. We're keep it. So something, um, we've been interviewing a lot of people in the streets and like different people of color um, that are here, and something they've asked is wanting to know the story of how different filmmakers have made it to this stage. So can you tell us a little bit of like, how the heck did you get to Sundance? Um, th- so this film was basically uh, one of my friends from school. I went to American Film Institute where uh, uh, I was studying with this fellow producing um, uh, student who, whose name is Almo and he's the producer on the show. Uh, he introduced me to uh, uh, Michal, who's from Saudi, and he wanted—he had this idea about this film, and he wanted 
uh, he was looking for a cinematographer and we when we met we clicked and we we started making this film um that that was my um like kind of uh, how, did get, how did the film get to Sundance like what's the process we just made it and we submitted it that's it and uh, we yeah. got this thing we got a response from Sundance that you're selected that's it it was a very fast process. We made this film in three months. Um, we submitted it and got back. So. That's good. I think a lot of people, like, which is part of how like white supremacy functions, things are very secretive. And so that idea of like, how does how did someone end up doing it? And, and like sharing the story of like, you submit, you try. One of the things that we're examining in um, The Color Grade is like, where do you see the color? Like where, even if there are films that don't necessarily have people of color represented in them, there's a way that when that's your lens, that's how you see anything that's here. So I guess, one of my first questions is, where are you seeing the color at Sundance? Well, I, I've been seeing a lot of films uh, with, made by people of color here. Uh, did you check out the people who won um, the Jury Award yesterday? Um, she is also, she's a person of color and I, I, I'm, I, I think, I'm not sure where exactly she's from, but I think she's somewhere from uh, Middle East uh, and the film is supposed to be really beautiful. What is your Sundance story? And what I mean, it could be anything like from figuring out what to wear when you're here, getting lost on the bus, like what has been your Sundance story? The one you're going to tell your people, like your real, real, real people when you get home. Yeah, I think uh, mostly Sundance for me was um, mainly networking. I, I'm starting off in LA and I no, don't know a lot of people. So uh, I'm, I'm meeting a lot of directors, producers. Uh, it was completely business for me mm-hmm. um yeah getting lost in in the bus it has happened to me <laughs> yeah for sure and wearing i think in terms of dressing up i just i was just concerned about wearing something really like warm i've, I've never been in a snow place uh-huh. i shot in snow but i don't know like i've never been in snowfall you yeah. see so I was a little worried because I get cold really fast. So I was, I was like, uh, shit. So I, I had like extra layers and stuff for a backup. Yeah. How was your first snowfall? It was beautiful. I walked from here for 20 minutes to this other event, and you know, it was just snowing on me. It was great. It was beautiful. I experienced something different in my life. That was great. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Color Grade, recorded live at the Sundance Film Festival in Park City, Utah. I'm your host, Joy Childs, and you can find me at Jump for Joy on Twitter and Instagram and at joychilds.com. Color Grade is produced by Domino Sound.